Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour One. Hello, America. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number, well, look, okay, phone lines are open, 877-973-7425, but you may want to wait a little bit to call in. At the bottom of this hour, I got a a buddy of mine, uh, David Nicholas, who is an expert when it comes to bonds and financial markets. He's going to be joining me to talk about this Silicon Valley bank stuff, but I want to begin with it, and I got a lot to say on it, and I want to explain it all to you, and in so doing, just probably uh, hold your phone calls first. I don't think we should be bailing out the depositors of Silicon Valley Bank, Um, and I want to explain that to you, but let me, before I do that, give you the turmoil and the review of what happened. Uh, There are a lot of people rushing to say this is about wokes and ESG. Not really. Vivek Ramaswamy, who is running for president, uh, confirmed today he'll be at the conference, the gathering in August. We'll have him on stage with me. He's got a piece in the Wall Street Journal. And, you know, he's a big ESG guy against ESG, and he points out ESG, but he notes, and I think everyone should, that it's larger than that issue. So here was the problem with Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, which has now been shut down as well. There's a run on banks today across the nation. Uh, The Dow is actually up right now almost 300 points. NASDAQ up almost 200 points. The reason being is because they do think this is contained. This isn't a, a overall collapse of banks. So here's what happened. And let me, we've been in abnormal times. Let me start there. For the last 15 years, we have been in abnormal times with very low interest rates, historic anomaly from where interest rates normally are. Normally, interest rates are where they are now. And we moved into abnormal times. And when we moved into abnormal times, it became very hard for banks to make money drawing interest. It became very hard for you. If, if you are a retiree or you have a savings account, your savings accounts have not generated a lot of interest. Banks were in the same boat. When the Fed rate was basically zero, you couldn't make any money on, on treasuries or anything like that. So people were buying corporate bonds and uh, the famous mortgage-backed securities. And in 2008, those mortgage-backed securities when the housing market went wobbly, they're what brought down the collapse at the time of, of Lehman Brothers and the like. Most banks moved away from that, and bigger banks were able to compound money. And because of their mass amount of money and cash, actually, they were able to generate some rate of return. Smaller banks invested in corporate bonds and safer mortgage-backed securities. But when the Fed started raising interest rates last year, it became more lucrative to buy into treasury bonds where you got a higher rate of return than the corporate bonds. The corporate bonds they bought were at a fixed rate. So here's what happened with Silicon Valley Bank and with Signature Bank also shut down. They got a lot of money in during COVID. They had tons and tons of money rolling in. But nobody wanted loans. Remember, everything was shut down. Nobody needed loans at the time. Everybody was getting a government bailout anyway. PPP was on uh, all the rage and the like. Nobody needed the money. So what do you do with all the money? Uh, um, J.P. Morgan Chase and a Bank of America just put the cash in an account. 
the smaller banks needed a higher rate of return, and so they bought a bunch of mortgage-backed securities and, and corporate bonds. Well, as the Fed started raising interest rates, those giant banks that had just held safe treasuries started getting a higher rate of return. Those small banks now were suddenly illiquid. Why? Because they had taken all of their spare cash, they put it into corporate bonds that were making more money than treasuries, and now suddenly they were making less money. Well, as interest rates went up, tech companies started having a hard time. Tech companies, cryptocurrency and the like, they all started having a hard time because as interest rates went up, their costs of doing business were higher. They had focused so much of their time and energy on growing their companies, they never had to worry about profits. Suddenly they were having to cut costs, lay people off, and also pay more bills with higher interest. So they started pulling money out of the banks. Well, where had... Silicon Valley Bank put all of its money in these corporate bonds that were now not generating as much money as federal treasuries. They had suddenly become illiquid. So they started selling off the bonds, and they didn't have enough. If they sold all their bonds, they did not have enough money to account for the deposits on the book. You think you put your money in an account in the bank, and it just stays there. Actually, the bank uses your money. And the rule is they're supposed to have enough money on hand at all times so that if everybody wants to pull their money out, they can. And if these corporate bonds had been allowed to reach maturity over time, Silicon Valley Bank would have enough money to meet all of its obligations. But when people want to cash out immediately, they got to divest their bonds early. They haven't paid out what they should pay. Well, suddenly the bank doesn't have enough money when everybody starts pulling their money out. And then this happened. This is the key component Everybody is missing. Silicon Valley Bank went public with the fact that they were trying to raise more equity because their corporate bonds had put them in an illiquid situation. Had word not gotten out, we wouldn't be dealing with what we're dealing with. But they didn't do it quietly. They did it very publicly, and that generated a run on the bank. And people couldn't get all their money out. So the Federal Reserve had to step in. They've done the same thing with Signature Bank in New York, which focused on cryptocurrencies and crypto investments. All the crypto investments have collapsed, and so this bank was in the same situation as Silicon Valley Bank. There is a run on a bank today called First Republic. First Republic is also a bank tied to the technology sector. First Republic says it's fine because of how it invested its money. Silicon Valley Bank mismanaged its money. They badly invested their money. It was misfeasance. The result is a federal bailout, and they shouldn't do a federal bailout. Now, it, it is and it is not a federal bailout. The feds are saying they have money set aside to make all the customers whole. Normally, in an FDIC-insured account, you are insured up to $250,000. All the money above $250,000, well, they got to sell all their assets and give you a portion of the money back, prorate the money based on your accounts. What the Federal Reserve is doing is saying that they have all of this excess money sitting aside and they're going to cover all the accounts. The reason they say they're going to cover all of the accounts is because these are major tech and, and biomedical startups. A lot of people 
will be out of work and unable to get a paycheck if they don't cover it. Now, on the surface, this sounds fine. We don't want a bunch of people to be without a paycheck because their corporation trusted a bank and the bank went under. But the bank and these corporations have had incestuous dealings for a very long time. Silicon Valley Bank has fronted and helped invest in and start up a lot of these companies. And some of them, and this is where the ESG angle comes in, some of them are very woke. Beyond Meat, Impossible Meat, uh, a lot of the solar panel companies out there, uh, and a a lot of the the far left uh, tech companies out there, Silicon Valley Bank invested in and got funded. It's not really, though, the woke angle. And if you say ESG is the problem, you're kind of missing. It's a mismanagement of funds problem. Now, I want to rely on Phil Klein here. Phil Klein is at National Review. And Phil Klein kind of captures my concerns. And if you subscribe to the Daily Show Notes, and you should, I've I've got a lot of this broken out for you today, and a lot of these links in the show notes today, which I myself did because someone's son is in the process of being delivered today, although they started this process about midnight last night and, and baby's still not here. But nonetheless, I did the show notes all by myself today. Let me run you through some of this from Phil Klein. The 2008 financial collapse and resulting Wall Street bailout popularized the concept of too big to fail. The idea that certain institutions were so massive and so intertwined with the rest of the financial system, their failure could trigger a complete meltdown of the economy. While I opposed that bailout on ideological grounds, I at least recognized the tremendous risk that the implosion of the nation's major investment banks could pose on the broader financial system. But Sunday's decision by regulators to bail out uninsured depositors of Silicon Valley Bank would dramatically lower the threshold for federal intervention. To be sure, there are reasons to believe the collapse of SVB carries broader consequences. While the FDIC guarantees deposits up to $250,000, the overwhelming majority of SVB deposits exceeded that amount. It was the bank of choice for tech startups without access to their cash, those companies would have difficulty meeting payroll. Additionally, the sudden collapse of SVB could lead companies and individuals who have deposits in other similar financial institutions to withdraw their money today, triggering more bank runs and more bank collapses. Regulators are not stepping in to rescue the bank as an institution. But the Treasury Department, Federal Reserve, and FDIC have announced they will make sure all depositors at SVB and Signature Bank will have access to all their money, even if those deposits exceed $250,000. Defenders of this decision will try to make it seem as if it's an extraordinary one-off decision by regulators, but in practice, it creates a huge moral hazard. By signaling the $250,000 FDIC limit on deposit insurance does not exist in practice. The clear signal it sends is when the financial institution makes poor decisions, the government will clean up the mess. There are plenty of ways in which poor decisions made by financial institutions could have larger implications. Now, this last point here, anyone who considers themselves a free market conservative should be especially concerned about the action. Regardless of the particulars, it will just add to the talking point that when Wall Street or well-connected tech companies are in trouble, the government swoops in for rescue. And yet lawmakers won't eliminate student debt, give away free health care, pay for child care, guarantee affordable housing, and insert whatever cause you like. If you support socialism for tech companies, don't be surprised when you get it for everything else. Yes, exactly this. 
it is one thing to say I feel bad for, sympathize with, and 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 wish the best to companies and shareholders and employees of companies who had money at Silicon Valley Bank. Don't like the fact that they invested in a bank that went belly up and are having trouble getting their money out. But I really don't like the government swooping in to help them or anyone else. There has to be a level of risk in the system. Otherwise, the risk is always borne by the taxpayers. The Federal Reserve can say it's not taxpayer money it's using, but yes, it is. It's baloney to say otherwise. I almost said BS on the radio. It is taxpayer money controlled by the Federal Reserve that is being used. It creates a moral hazard. What is a moral hazard? A moral hazard is when the government keeps bailing people out. Those people no longer think that uh, their decisions have consequence. And so they continue making bad decisions. They, They take risk out of their decisions. They take risk out of their thinking. When you take risk out of your thinking because the government's going to bail you out, the government's going to have to keep bailing you out. There are all sorts of problems if the government doesn't bail out. Silicon Valley Bank. There are lots of economic consequences if the Federal Reserve does not make depositors at Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank whole. There are lots of consequences. But I continue to believe and maintain the consequences are far worse by bailing them out. The long-term consequences of this is that these companies and these banks can continue doing risky things, ignoring the risk, knowing that Uncle Sam will bail them out. And that will compound their failures and increase the chances of them doing something even riskier in the future. If the federal government refused to step in and say, this is the consequence of the mismanagement, The chips would fall where they may. The free market would sort itself out. And frankly, I think the free market is in a better position to sort this out than the federal government. And I think all the billionaires begging for a bailout, they should put up their money. They should bear the risk. They should be the ones to be involved, not you and me through the Federal Reserve. So my kid has a queen-size bed. We've got a king-size bed. We got him bull and branch sheets, and he's used them. He had like kid sheets and now he's old enough. He doesn't want the, the action figure sheets anymore. Well, we got lost because I mean, the sheets look like our sheets, except they're queen size sheets and they got put in our closet and the kid was in despair. We got him bowl and branch sheets. They've gotten softer and softer. And he's like, where are my real sheets? He refused to sleep until we found the real sheets because they're that soft. They're that good. They're made with a 100% Organic cotton thread. They get softer in every wash. You can stay cozy all winter long with a set of bowl and branch sheets. They really are that good. We have them on multiple beds in our house. My goodness. my Seriously, my kid, uh, he's finally like, my sheets are for kids. I'm, I'm grown up now. And uh, it's just a, a step of quality above what he had. And now he's like, can't sleep without these sheets. They're designed to feel incredible for all sleepers. They're made without toxins. They're free of pesticides, formaldehyde other chemicals. They fit the deepest mattress too, which I love because we have a very thick mattress on our bed and it fits. It doesn't like bunch up and then snap off in the middle of the night when you roll over. You can get 15% off your forced order Bowling Branch sheets when you use promo code Eric at BowlingBranch.com. Exclusions apply. See site for details. That's Bowling Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D Branch.com. 
The promo code is Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. I, I got to make a point from Vivek Ramaswamy's piece in the Wall Street Journal, just so you understand the situation with Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, which I'm kind of ignoring, it, it just treat it somewhat the same, that they have the same problems. Silicon Valley Bank situation is different from that of most American banks. Only 11% of its deposits were insured by the FDIC. While the operating accounts of small businesses often exceed the FDIC limit, large banks sweep the excess into cash management programs that buy treasury bills and other securities. As the nation's 16th largest bank, Silicon Valley Bank, chose not to do so. For some reason, Roku, the publicly traded maker of streaming devices, had a $487 million balance with the bank. Silicon Valley Bank also had a concentrated client base of tech startups whose needs for capital were highly sensitive to rising interest rates. Yet Silicon Valley Bank itself had the highest concentration of any major bank in mortgage-backed securities, also especially sensitive to that risk factor. This is an egregious oversight specific to Silicon Valley Bank. Its investment portfolio was 57% of total assets, more than twice its peer average of 24%. Regulations require banks to hold high-quality liquid assets, and these can be categorized as available for sale or held to maturity. With available for sale investments, unrealized gains and losses don't hit a bank's profit or loss statement, but they do affect capital. Booking bonds in held to maturity prevents gains and losses from showing up at all. Silicon Valley Bank booked $91 billion out of $120 billion in the most favorable held to maturity category and only $26 billion as available for sale. Why would the bank hold only $26 billion in AFS when it knew it had a concentrated high-risk deposit base? This was mismanagement. It was mismanagement. By the way, we should know that the note that the head of risk assessment uh, was taking a leave of absence, apparently, according to the Daily Mail, to plan a pride event and a lesbian parade. Yeah, <laughs> you can't make that up. Um, it, it just it, it, this is this is a real problem. And now there's this: uh, the U.S. system of federal home loan banks, a key source for cash for regional banks is trying to raise $84 billion through the sale of short-term notes all of a sudden. They're worried about having the capital to deal with these small banks and regional banks around the country. If these regional banks invested too much in corporate bonds and not treasury securities, they could have some fallout here. And the Fed's trying to stem that. They're using yours and my insurance of the $250,000 to cover these big banks. They should not be bailing these people out. Let the chips fall where they may, and we'll clean up the mess. Let the private sector do it. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number, 877-973-7425. I'm getting a ton of emails from people, and everybody's asking the exact same question. If taxpayer dollars aren't being used for the bailouts of these banks, where's the money coming from? Uh, just real quick, you know how all of our accounts are insured up to $250,000. You put your money in a bank. And the FDIC guarantees up 
to $250,000. They're using that insurance payment essentially for all of our bank accounts to take care of protecting these banks. So they are using our money. It's just not our technical taxpayer dollars. It's all the insurance from the banks for insuring all of our accounts that's gone to the Federal Reserve, and now that money's used to cover all this other stuff. So now if there's a wider system collapse, we got problems. I don't think there will be, though. But I know sometimes you guys are like, well, can you ask someone who actually knows what he's talking about, Erickson, instead of just you doing it? I, I, I will make the rare exception. My buddy David Nicholas, who manages some of my money, he also manages a lot of other people's money. He knows the bond market. He knows the equities market. He knows what's going on. David Nicholas, welcome to the show. Eric, great to be here, man. Thanks for having me. So you, you let me get your overview here of, of how are you assessing this uh, situation with Signature and Silicon Valley Bank? Yeah, obviously, this has been a quickly moving uh, event over the last couple of days. Look, the the Federal Reserve brought out the nuclear option yesterday. I mean, they, they, they brought out everything they had, which is basically that, that bank term funding program, which is really what you've been talking about. It's really sure up some of these bank deposits. But uh, I mean, you, you mentioned it. I mean, I think a bank like Silicon Valley, they seemed a lot more interested in climate change than they were good banking practices. So uh, it, it was insane to me, and I'm glad you mentioned this, that they, I mean, they went all in on 10-year government bonds on when rates were at 50-year lows. And I, I, that was the most misguided management I think any bank could do. And so they're bearing the brunt of it. But again, they, they thought that they'd live in a world where interest rates would stay low for, forever. And what the Federal Reserve has done has hurt a bank like Silicon Valley Bank, but it, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's not just Silicon Valley. It, it, we, our system is built on trust and our banking, it's like that movie, A Wonderful Life, great classic movie, but there's that scene where everyone goes to the bank at the same time, try to get their money out. The money's not there. I mean, it's important for us to understand we're not scared. We don't want to be alarmed, but banks generally keep 10% or less of deposits uh, of, of, of depositors' money at any one time. 90% of it is loaned out in buildings and real estate. They buy some government bonds with that money. And so, I mean, FDIC insurance is great, but if there's a true crisis, Eric, I mean, FDIC is not going to be there to cover the shortfall. So it's really important for our listeners and Americans just be uh, take uh, control of their own finances and personal responsibility and know you probably shouldn't have more than $250,000 at any one bank. I don't care how big they are. It's important to be diversified. Yeah, okay. My wife and I had this conversation this weekend of, I mean, should you just have like multiple bank accounts and never have more than $250,000 in them? And, and my thinking is, well, yeah, that's fine. But if you're as wealthy as I hope to be with your help one day, David, we're going to have to have like large sums of money spread out across the financial sector. And how do you keep up with all of it? I mean, what, what do you, we're, we're talking about a very small portion of the listening audience right now, but for- sure. For very wealthy people, how do they park their money? Right. And again, in, in, in a perfect scenario, and the probable scenario is your money inside banks are fine. Over $250,000 are fine. We're, we're talking about a scenario where there's a crisis. And I always say, look, we, we don't hope for that, but you plan for that. And so generally what, what wealthy investors would do, and, and again, you can still be middle class, and you just sold your home and you have a half a million dollars, $500,000 that you don't know what to do with yet, so you stick it in your bank, right? And that happens more times than I think we may realize in our life. But it, it, you can buy U.S. Treasury. So 
One of the things that we've been talking about with you before, Eric, is treasuries are a great place uh, to invest money over that $250,000 limit. Uh, we did start an ETF that is a treasury ETF, which is the ticker symbol is FIAX, but it does own treasuries. But you may be saying, well, wait, isn't that what Silicon Valley Bank bought? Didn't they buy treasuries? They went out and tied their money up in 10-year treasuries, locked it in. You, you don't have to do that. You can buy short-term treasuries, one-year or two-year treasuries that are still yielding close to 5%. So anything over those 250 limits, you're really going to want to look at a safe asset like treasuries. But Look, what we just witnessed over the last couple of days, it doesn't mean the coast is all clear. And I still have quite a few concerns going forward just for the economy and for banks in general. Okay, so let me back up now and, and circle back to you on uh, the $250,000 $250, FDIC limit and, and the Fed's uh, nuclear bomb, nuclear option as, they, as you characterized it. Yep. So I'm worried about the moral hazards here. And I have been for a while, and I've had these conversations with former Senator Leffler and, and others that uh, when banks like Silicon Valley Bank, its depositors in the tech sector and others know that the Fed will step in to bail them out of their situations, uh, it seems just from my rudimentary vantage point, and where I'm no expert on this, that you start deleting risk calculations from your equations, knowing, well, if we screw up, the Fed will bail us out. And then that just perpetuates the problem in my mind. Am I wrong on thinking that way? No, you're, you're spot on. I mean, I mean, any time, whether it's the Federal Reserve or the federal government, intrudes into the free market, it skews incentives. And that's exactly what you're describing. And so as depositors, right, if you think it's a risk-free that any decision I make, any bank that I use, I can uh, be incentivized because banks like SVP, uh, SVP incentivize depositors of these venture funds to put more money with them because they got sweetheart deals on mortgages. They got to take loans against their stock if they put more money in SVB. So you, you incentivize that type of behavior when uh, depositors or investors think there's no risk. Now, to be fair, the Federal Reserve said they're not bailing out shareholders and bondholders. So any stockholders of SVB got completely wiped out. Bondholders got completely wiped out. But they are bailing out the depositors, and that is important. And, uh, again, our, our banking system is the safest in the world. But I just think that you incentivize bad behavior when you have this blanket, which is basically what the Federal Reserve did. They said, don't worry about where you put your money. If banks are ever at risk in the future, but I do want to make a distinction, and where they are providing insurance, it's only if banks' government bonds are worth less than what they purchased for, they can exchange those bonds for cash from the Federal Reserve. But Eric, this is a distinction. That only makes up about 25% of bank assets. Where's the other 75%? It's in the pizza company across the street that got a $100,000 loan. Uh, it's in the, the residential home builder who's building 20 homes on a lot, right? That's where the majority of bank assets are. The Federal Reserve has no answer for that. It is only for the bank assets that are owned in government bonds. I, I hate to get into the weeds like that, but I just don't want investors to still have a false sense of security. There's still risk, and it really comes down to the lending activities of banks. Look, if those loans go bad and you're over FDIC limits, I, unless the Federal Reserve is going to start buying up uh, plots of land and, and, and buildings that aren't 
uh, leased out, uh, I feel, still think depositors still have quite a bit of risk. Okay, so you know, you mentioned the lands. I, I talked to a lot of people at the end of last week trying to get a sense of this. And most of the experts I talked to, including a, a former Fed governor, was that he's not generally worried about even a lot of the regional banks because uh, these tech banks, whether it's First Republic or Signature or SVB, they invested a lot in corporate bonds and mortgage-backed securities, uh, particularly inside the tech sector, where a lot of regional banks are actually doing land deals. They're not doing tech deals. They're, they're, they're not dealing with businesses that, as interest rates have grown, gone up, have uh, cash management problems. And so they weren't really worried about a spillover effect that much outside of the core tech sector bank area. Well, how do you view this? Yeah, that's actually a great point. So the customers of Silicon Valley Bank, I would say that they're at the tip of the spear of economic growth. These are startup companies. Some of these are the riskiest companies that you can have. So I think if, if the economy goes into a slowdown, who's going to feel it first? Is it the land uh, owner that's building developments in our local community? Probably not. It starts in Silicon Valley with high-risk tech companies. But I, I think where the risk is for our regional banks is if the economy worsens, which, you know, I hope I'm wrong, but I'm in the opinion that this economy is uh, going to get tighter. It is. We're going to see slower growth. Eric, it does eventually make its way into local communities, meaning just like we saw it in 08, obviously, I don't think it's going to get to that degree. But as the economy slows, if these, these businesses that have taken loans from regional banks, if they have trouble paying back these loans, I almost think the situation is worse because it's small businesses, it's small developers where they don't have the wiggle room like some of these large VC funds do. So for right now, no, there's no spillover effect. But we got to watch the economy as if employment jumps, as the economy contracts. But that's what the Federal Reserve wants to happen. Just remember, the Federal Reserve looks like the hero today, but they're also trying to break the economy on the other side. So that's yeah. where regional banks can get hurt uh, if the debt crisis continues to rise from here. Okay, so that leads me to the next question of there's a lot of speculation now on whether or not the Fed is going to continue raising rates. And I know J.P. Morgan and Morgan Stanley are out today saying, yeah, they still think maybe a quarter, not a half. Some others are out saying they probably won't. And I guess I I do want your answer of what you think. But also, I it does kind of blow my mind that hero or villain, take that out of the picture. The Fed for about six months was signaling to everyone, we're about to raise rates. We're about to raise rates. Get your house in order. They started raising rates and Silicon Valley Bank and others were like, we didn't really think they would do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they thought they had their sweetheart deals uh, at the Federal Reserve. So CPI t is tomorrow. So we're going to get the latest inflation data. And I, I don't know how my life has gotten this depressed where I now have to look forward to the next CPI reading. <laughs> but I will be ready for it with my whiskey and uh, as I read this report in the morning. But that's going to determine a lot, right? I, I, you could argue that some are saying that that doesn't matter as much, but inflation still matters. If inflation is still heading higher, the Fed has no choice. Now, we'll probably see a 25 basis point hike instead of 50 basis points, but I think this is a one-off rate hike meeting. I think as you get into April, May, June, the, the Fed's still hiking. Uh, the only way you don't see that, if that CPI report tomorrow, Eric, comes in soft, where we see a decline in inflation, I just I don't think we see it. So I think just to save face, the Fed will go a smaller hike uh, this this next hike meeting. But after that, I think it's back to the drawing board as far as continuing to bring rates higher from here.
I think that that's why I said, okay, before I let you get out of here, you, we, you've talked a lot about bonds and stuff, and let's talk about your ETF because I, I, I am continually fascinated that you had the gumption to put this thing together. Uh, man, I'll tell you, it was, if you told me my first bond fund, my first ETF would be a bond fund, I would have never believed it, but it, the timing has been really good for this. So, and essentially bonds, for those of you who don't know how they work, you can buy corporate bonds or government bonds. We're buying government treasuries, which are the safest investment you can buy. It's kicking off 4.5% dividends right now. So if you look at the share price, you may say, wait a second, what is Eric talking about? This share price is not moving at all. That's the point. The whole point is that for you to preserve your capital with a, with a steady share price and to generate dividends. So again, this is boring, but it's intentionally boring for this environment. And then we also do some option selling on top of the treasuries. If we can generate another 1% to 2% of income on top of our 4.5%, we could be getting 6 or 7 in a year where the markets aren't going anywhere and 99% of your money is backed up in safe government bonds. Eric, we think there's a market for that. And so that's really why we created the fund. Okay. So now uh, people want to get involved. They want to reach out to you. <laughs> they want your help planning their retirement or getting into the bond fund. Uh, where do they go? Eric, we appreciate it. The number to call our office, we have a great team standing by, 678-990-8500. That's 678-990-8500. Or you can go to nicholaswealth.com, but we would just be honored to help. Well, look, I appreciate you coming by to be able to talk about this stuff as well. You always simplify it so great um, and look forward to hanging out and using the golf simulator at your office again. Uh, man, thanks. I'm a great show today, by the way. You've been nailing it. I was listening to the show prior to, to me coming on. It's been really good. So thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you, David. David Nicholas, uh, again, go to nicholaswealth.com. And uh, full disclosure, uh, his firm handles a good piece of my money. So um, he is he's not just somebody I do endorsement deals with in the Atlanta area. He actually does handle my money. And I've known him for a long time. Um, good guy. That that bond fund, though, I'm just fascinated by it. It, it is uh, you can go ch- read the disclosures yourself if you want, but they just invest in in government securities and growing your money with interest rates right now. Now, I want you to grow your share of Eden Pure Thunderstorms because they really do help. I got to tell you, I travel with mine and every time, like, you know, the, the smells out there these days from non-tobacco products uh, when you get in a hotel room and Good Lord, this thing just wipes out the smells. Cigar smoked, pet odors, litter box odors, you name it. Get three of them for less than $200. EdenPureDeals.com is the website. It's the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. It's an air purifier. It gets rid of the dust, the pollen, the mold, all that sort of stuff. But it also wipes out odors. That's the key here. It is an odor eliminator. You go to EdenPureDeals.com and you'll see on the front page, it wants a discount code. You put in Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Put in Eric, and you get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms for less than $200. You're saving $200, and you get free shipping. You This thing is slightly bigger than your hand. You can plug it into the wall. You can use a USB cord, plug it in your car, and it just eats up odors. It doesn't mask the odors. It just wipes them out. Uh, I travel with it because if you've ever had one of those rental cars where someone's been smoking in it and it stinks and your clothes reek, the Eden Pure Thunderstorm takes care of it. You got a musty basement or you travel a lot in an RV and, and it gets a little stinky in there. Well, the Eden Pure Thunderstorm wipes out those odors. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is Eric. EdenPureDeals.com. Discount code E-R-I-C-K. Go check them out today. 
Look, uh, I highly recommend you subscribe to the daily email. I'll give you 15% off. Just text the word data to 33777. Follow that first link. Uh, with all the stuff happening with the bank stuff, I'm just rounding up all the expert opinions, giving it to you in email so you can read this stuff, my synopses of it, or read the full things, just so you can keep up on what's going on. Right now, I want to hop on a phone call with Dick. You're going to be up first. Welcome. Hey, Dick. Yes, uh, Eric, thanks for taking my call. Sure. One, one thing that I cannot understand, and I know you've got a good legal background. In fact, you're a lawyer, right? Yes. The, uh, where does uh, the Federal Reserve get the uh, permission to spend the extra money to bail this uh, bank out <laughs> for these customers? Um. So it came with in so the Fed arguably already had the power to do it, but during the financial situation with TARP in two thousand eight, uh, when the government passed TARP, the, the essentially the bank bailout, they clarified that the Federal Reserve can use any monies it has on hand to stabilize the banking system without first seeking permission from Congress so long as the executive, that is the president, uh, signs off on it. So this weekend, uh, the Federal Reserve presented a plan to President Biden and said, we want to use our existing funds that come from insured deposits for all banks in order to prop up the deposits of these specific banks to an unlimited amount. Uh, they have so much sitting on the side. I mean, they, they genuinely do have in reserves uh, hundreds of billions of dollars just based on insurance premiums from banks due to all of us having checking accounts. So they wanted to use that money. And the reason they did, and this is important to understand whether we agree with it or not, and I don't, but whether we agree with it or not, the key point here is they don't believe this spills over to wider banking systemic problems so they can do this. They will be repaid the money um, and uh, they'll be able to to make everything work. Um, to their point, First Republic is another bank that people ran on today and they're signaling they're fine that they're, they've got the money to cover everything. And if they are, that was kind of the big red flag. It looks like things might be okay.